This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Good morning, my friends in Christ. We pray. Lord Jesus, when your friend and apostle John described your birth, he wrote so simply, the word of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we've heard you speaking your message of grace and truth. Lord, this morning, please speak to both preacher and people alike. Help us to see both your truth and also your amazing grace. Amen. We read from Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem and Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said, take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So he got up, took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt, where they stayed until the death of Herod. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. Can you believe it? 
one of the saddest events recorded in the Bible is a Christmas event. The Christian church actually memorializes it tomorrow, December 28th, the day of the Holy Innocents, the slaughter of the young boys of Bethlehem. But we might wonder why. Certainly not the worst tragedy or slaughter recorded in the Bible. I mean, just think of Pharaoh and his army drowning in the Red Sea as they were trying to prevent the Israelites from escaping from Egypt. Or think of the Canaanites who lived in the Promised Land when the Israelites arrived. They were all either killed or enslaved, men, women, and children. In fact, by comparison, Bethlehem was a tiny town. And experts agree that probably in this tiny town, the boy, toddlers, and infants under the age of two maybe numbered 50 or so. That's only about a quarter of the number of people who are murdered in the city of Milwaukee just this year. So why would this minor slaughter draw so much attention? That artists have memorialized it again and again and again? That the church actually sets aside this day as the day of the holy innocents? We might like to dismiss it as just a lot of drama, a chance for artists to show off with a very dramatic scene with bloodshed and a lot of bodies. But really, it's a very dramatic religious moment. There was no reason for these children to die. They were helpless before Herod's soldiers. They'd done nothing to deserve death. They'd done nothing to deserve or to threaten Herod's kingship. Bottom line is they died because of their connection to Jesus. So how did this tragedy take place? I think the important thing for us to remember, first of all, is to take care of a little bit of misinformation. The Bible never calls the children of Bethlehem either holy or innocent. No one is. In fact, it was about a month ago that Professor Bivens gave us the sad news that in this sinful and broken world, every human being is actually sinful from birth. It's like a disease we all inherit. And the Bible says death is the proof of our sinfulness. Death came to all people because all sinned. So all tragedies and every death occurs because sin is universal. We are that messed up personally. Our world is that messed up. But there was one specific sinner, one specific selfish and sinful man, and one specific sin that brought about the slaughter of the children at Bethlehem. The perpetrator was King Herod the Great, who ruled Palestine for over 30 years. And everyone agrees 
he was an outstanding leader and a crafty politician. He received his kingship from the Roman Senate itself. And he did everything in his power to keep it. So even though he wasn't a Jew by birth, he was raised in the Jewish faith, and he made every effort to win the favor of the people he was ruling over. He actually rebuilt God's temple in Jerusalem. He, at a time of a famine, sold the possessions from his palace to give food and clothing to his subjects. And he wanted to be accepted. And so for his second wife, he married the daughter of the most prominent Jewish ruling family, the Hasmoneans. And for his third wife, he married the daughter of the high priest. But when Herod came to power, he realized he had to do many things to keep that power. And so he sent out his troops to eliminate the guerrilla fighters, to take care of all rebellions. And then he went farther. To keep his kingship, he eliminated all competition, including his second wife and her grandfather, his third wife, and three sons, and a few other relatives as well. And I'm sure Herod thought this was good for the country. It's better to have a solid kingship. It's better to have that than rebellion. So can you predict what Herod is going to do when foreign dignitaries show up in his capital city saying, where's the new king been born? We read, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And then Matthew tells us, when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. In the centuries before Herod, Palestine had been plagued by foreign domination and rebellion. So it's no surprise that this would cause disturbance. And we're told, Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. But we read that God gave a warning to the Magi not to return to King Herod rather to go back to their home country by a different route. And when that happened, Herod was incensed. And he was determined to solve this problem thoroughly and absolutely. When Herod realized he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. And so we have the slaughter of the infants of Bethlehem. The sin is called infanticide. Now that was not practiced at all among the believing Jewish people. 
They knew and they believed from God's word that children were a blessing from God, children were a gift from God. But it was a very common practice in their world. In fact, very common among the ancient Greeks and the Romans. Historians tell us Greeks regularly practice infanticide as a kind of birth control, particularly in the city of Sparta, while the Roman father had the right not to lift his baby off the floor after birth, simply letting it lay and die. Now, to a different extent, children are still devalued in our world today. God's promise hasn't changed that children are a blessing and a gift from him. But some couples choose not to have children because they misunderstand what God has said and and misunderstand and believe children are a, a burden or something that's unnecessary. And of course, the 800-pound gorilla in the room is the practice of abortion. Not for medical necessity, but just by choice. In which God's blessing is devalued to being just an unnecessary part of the human body that can be removed by surgery and then disposed of. Now, even though that has become legal in America almost 50 years ago, I think Americans still know deep down in their heart that that's just not right. Interesting statistic is that since abortion was legalized, the number of abortions per year has steadily decreased every year. Not that it's not a small number, and not that it doesn't make the slaughter at Bethlehem seem like a paltry few children. But we have to get on from that point. Because I think this is a point where it's so easy for us to point fingers at someone else and forget the old lesson our parents taught us. Remember this one? That every time you point a finger at somebody else, you're actually pointing many more at yourself. Right? You got that lesson too, didn't you? Yeah. So did I. And the reality is that there is a common sin behind all these tragedies, a common spiritual crisis. That crisis is that a person who does not trust and serve Christ ends up trusting and serving their own selfish, sinful nature. I mean, just think of King Herod. He had good reason to do what he did, at least in his own head. I'm sure he thought, no one's interests are more important than mine. I am the king after all, and what's good for the king has got to be good for the people. Makes us want to say, who in the world could be that selfish? I'm going to raise my hand. And maybe you might also. 
Have you ever done the same thing I've done and devalued another person into just a problem? Maybe it was a difficult coworker. Maybe it was your boss. Maybe it was a student in your classroom. Maybe it was a difficult neighbor. Maybe it was your own spouse. Or perhaps I end up devaluing a whole group of people. And I talk about the problem of inner-city youth or the problem of illegal immigrants or the problem of the growing elderly population. This isn't a problem. This is people created in the image of God, precious to him, precious to our Lord. And then, you know what? Because Herod was king, he could get away with it. And Satan uses the fact that we can escape human condemnation to embolden our sin. Thinking bad of others is not illegal. Abortion is not illegal. Getting drunk is not illegal if you do it in the privacy of your home. Neglecting the poor, the helpless, the immigrant, the lonely, the sick is not illegal. And the bottom line is that shutting God and his will out of your life is totally legal. But what a horrible danger we put ourselves in. And we have to be aware that this is a problem that affects Christian people. Yes, we have a new nature, but we always have that sinful, selfish nature within us. And when we follow that selfish, sinful nature, you know what? We're going to end up slaughtering the innocent of any age and any place. How easy it is for me to write off somebody as just not my kind, too far gone, beyond redemption. And I repent when I know that. That means to literally change your mind about the selfishness that lives within you and change your mind about the incredible selflessness of God. So you realize we honor this day because the children of Bethlehem died because of their connection to the absolutely selfless Savior who chose to leave heaven to be born as one of us in flesh and blood to face all the dangers and all the ugliness of our messed up world. When Christ came into the world, the book of Hebrews describes his attitude. And whenever I hear these words, it almost gives me goosebumps. This is what it says. When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. 
And miraculously, that selfless Savior was born as one of us. And when he was a toddler, barely two years old, one of those selfish human beings he came to save tried to snuff out his life. What amazing selflessness that he didn't just get disgusted, turn around and go back to heaven. But he never turned back. As Pastor Ben told us last week, Christmas always leads to the cross. That's why he was born. And you realize the Lord didn't give up or hold back on King Herod? Right then, when he asked, the elders of the people pointed him right back to God's promise. Not of a king who would take his place, but a king who would actually shepherd him and shepherd all of his people. And you realize Jesus was so determined to save that on the last day of his life, he stood before Herod's son, who wouldn't judge him innocent, but Jesus graciously didn't snuff him out. Jesus selflessly stood before him ready to be the perfect sacrifice. And in the same way, he knows my selfish nature. He knows yours. And he never turns back. With complete selflessness, he calls me and he calls you to know that beautiful, gracious, unselfish love. Now, please don't get me wrong here. Jesus is your example and mine. He really is. He wants us to confront our selfish natures. He wants us to mirror his perfect, selfless giving to our fellow human beings. But before you accept him as your example, make sure you accept him as your savior. What a mess our world can be. The Bible describes it. It says the light had to shine in the darkness. And what a mess I can be and you can be even at Christmas time. But nothing changes our hearts. Nothing changes what's in us except that beautiful, selfless love of Christ. That's our motivation. That's our response. I think the Apostle Paul summed it up perfectly when he was writing to his Christian friends in Corinth. And he simply said, we have the surpassing grace God has given Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast, brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.